journey. So awesome to get to see all of you. Um, I don't know if you guys knew last weekend was the Super Bowl. Did you guys hear about that? Uh, any Chiefs fans out there, like real Chiefs, that hand went up so quick right there. You, you have faith in God more than you did last week, didn't you? That's awesome. Uh, so you're a real, real Chiefs fan, like not a bandwagon jumper, right? Okay, that's awesome. One thing about the Super Bowl, you may or may not know this, but when you look across the church calendar, the lowest attend, one of the lowest attendance weeks of the year, Super Bowl Sunday. Um, and not this pastor, but it's kind of funny because sometimes pastors, it makes them a little grumpy, a little snarky. They start saying some things out on social media, things like, why can't people be more excited about God than they are about football? And, you know, I, I kind of get that. Well... Someone posted on my social media, they said, maybe church would be a little bit more exciting if we took some Gatorade and dumped it over your head at the end of the sermon. <laughs> yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> they did not do that at the nine. <laughs> oh, man. Uh-uh. Now I've got paper like down in my shirt. It's going to be bugging me the whole time. Um, I, we like to have fun around here. <laughs> Church shouldn't be boring. Uh, Jesus should be, should be fun. Uh, we're in our fourth week of this series that we're calling Puzzled. How do we put back together the pieces of our relationships? Um, we kind of came into this series with this acknowledgement. Relationships are hard. They just are. I don't don't care what kind of relationships you're talking about. Marriage relationships, they can be really, really hard. Dating relationships can be very, very difficult. Being a parent can be incredibly challenging. Being a kid of those same parents can even be more challenging sometimes. Coworkers, classmates, neighbors, relationships. Some of the greatest joys that we experience in life can come from our relationships, but also some of the greatest pain that we experience in this life can come from relationships. And we're gonna make this acknowledgement too. We don't believe that relationships are the exact way that God intended them to be. We believe that there are some things that are broken. When we look back at the book of Genesis, at the very beginning, we see this picture of what relationships were intended to look like. Not only our relationship with God, but our relationships with one another. That relationship with God was intended to be intimate and personal, nothing separating us from God. And the same was true in our relationships with one another. I mean, there were only two people back then, but the intention was that they would be in an intimate, personal relationship with one another. Now, when we look at this story, we get to about page two and the wheels come off. And that's just with two people. The wheels 
come off. Here's what happens. They decide, we're gonna do this our own way. God, we think we know better than you how this whole thing should work. God, we got this. And as a result of trying to go at it on their own, sin and brokenness entered the world. Our relationship with God was broken and our relationships with each other were broken. And some of the scars that happened in and around even that first breaking of relationships still affect us today. We still see some of those same scars in our own life. And this is the scar I want us to focus on today. is this propensity, this desire that we have to try to hide. We wanna hide from people. That's what we see happened at the very beginning of the book of Genesis. When sin and brokenness entered the world, we see this sort of where God comes into the garden looking for Adam, looking for Eve, asks them the question, where are you? What was their response? We hid. We hid because we were afraid. Afraid of judgment. Afraid of condemnation. People saying, God, I don't want you to see me. But it wasn't just a broken relationship with God where they were trying to hide. They ended up trying to hide from each other. At the very beginning of the story, it says when they were created, they were naked and they were unashamed. Can you imagine that? Being completely naked and unashamed. Like they don't have body image issues like I do or we do today, right? God, I thought that was gonna work better at the 11. It didn't work at the nine and it didn't work there either. I thought that was funnier than that. You know, we all wanna rock a swimsuit. But in the fall, they just saw that they were naked, they were ashamed, they were broken, and they tried to hide from each other, cover themselves with fig leaves. Friends, this is the world that we live in today, in this broken state. Broken relationship with God, broken relationship with each other. And that's why we're talking about this series called Puzzled. Because there's this picture that God has for relationship, but because of what happened at the very beginning of the Bible, that puzzle has been broken apart. But here's what we believe to be true. We believe that God understands and knows how to put the pieces back together. And we're grateful for that. And so what we wanna do is we wanna seek him and just say, God, how do we do that? How do we put these pieces back together? How do we overcome this desire that we have to wanna hide from you and to wanna hide from one another? And so we've been thinking about this series in this way. There's this text from Colossians 3 that we've been working through. These character qualities, these relationship qualities that God tells us these need to be part of who you are if you're gonna be able to do relationships well. Here's where we started in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves. I love that imagery. Just wrap these qualities around you. Wear them like a wardrobe, that when anybody looks at you, that's what they see. Wear these qualities in that way. What qualities? Tenderhearted mercy, we looked at. Kindness, humility. And today we're gonna to be looking at gentleness. Here's what I want you to think about today. It is gentleness that causes us to understand that we don't need to hide. We don't need to hide from God and we don't need to hide from each other. 
when we live together in gentleness. Here's what I want you to think also about these principles of relationships. So many times we think about in relationships that I'm just gonna treat other people the way that they treat me. That's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That isn't the way of the kingdom. This is the way of the kingdom. Jesus says, God says, I want you to think about how I treat you. How is it that I relate to you? And whatever those qualities are, you take those same qualities and you relate to other people in that very same way. We treat others the way God treats us. And how does God treat us? How did Jesus treat people? With gentleness. There's no greater example of gentleness than the life and ministry of Jesus. And it was that gentleness that caused people to understand they don't need to hide anymore. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. This is what I think is probably one of the greatest invitations of Jesus. He says in verse 28, come to me, all of you, all of you, every one of you who are what? Weary and carry heavy burdens. Is that any of us? I know what that feels like. You know what that feels like. Weary and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and what? Gentle of heart. Jesus is gentle. And you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Who's this invitation to? It's to you, it's to me, it's all of us who are walking in ways right now where we're weary. We're just carrying burdens in this life that just feel heavier than we know how to carry. We're, maybe we're burned out on life. Maybe you're even here today and you're just burned out on religion in some way. Jesus says, come, come to me. I'm gentle. I'll be your sanctuary. If you come to me, you will be safe. That's a word I want to resonate in your mind today. You will be safe with Jesus. Now, here's what I want you to understand. When I say the word safe, I don't mean that following Jesus and going after him means that you're always gonna be comfortable because you won't. I don't mean that it's not gonna be challenging. It will. It does not mean in any way that he is gonna remove all the pain and suffering of this world from you. He won't. He didn't even remove all of the pain and suffering from his own life. Following Jesus can be very, very challenging but he is also very, very safe. He wants to come alongside us and to carry our burdens with us. But what made Jesus safe? What were those qualities of gentleness? What made him gentle and safe to those around him? I want us to look at just one verse from John chapter one, it talks about what Jesus was like and what he brought when he came into this world. We're gonna talk about the qualities of safe people. John 1.14. Let's just read it and we're going to highlight three words that I think are important. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son 
who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That first word, dwelling. In some ways, it just means that he came among people. He came to live here on earth. But as we look at how Jesus talked about what that meant, there's more to it than just showing up here on earth. He wants to live with us. He wants to live in us. He wants to connect with us at a heart level, to understand us. In John chapter 15, he talks a lot about this. Remember the story when he talks about the vine and the branches? I am the vine and you are the branches. He says, remain in me or abide in me. Do you remember that word abide? Same idea, abide, abode, dwelling, live within me. And I want to live within you. I want our hearts to connect. A safe person. A safe person is someone who has the willingness and the capacity to connect at a heart level. If we're gonna be a safe people, if we're, gonna be, if we're gonna find safe people, we've gotta be people who know how to connect with others. But then there's these two words that describe what that connection actually looks like. Some character qualities of that. Talks about two things, grace and truth. Now grace is just simply, if we were to define it, it just means unmerited favor. It means it's something that's given to you that you didn't work for or earn. But God gives it to us out of the kindness of his heart. It simply means God's on your side. God is for you. He gives you unconditional love. He gives you unconditional acceptance. And then get this. In the midst of that, there is no condemnation. Friends, it's that fear of condemnation that causes us to want to hide, isn't it? If people really knew what was happening inside of me, they would go away. If God really knew what was going on inside of me, he would go away, even though we know in our mind that God does know. It's that fear of condemnation that creates distance between God and people. This is why Paul says it so specifically in Romans 8.1, he says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. No condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. What is Paul saying? If you are in Christ, and when we say in Christ, what we mean is that I've surrendered my life to him. He's my king. I have no other king but him. I bow my knee to him. I am in him. And because of that, God looks at us and he says, I don't see condemnation. I just see the blood of Christ over your life. No condemnation in Christ. But I want to go back to what I said at the very beginning. The way that we relate to one another is the way that God relates to us. So if we are in this relationship in Christ where there is no condemnation, how is it that we should relate to one another? No condemnation. No condemnation with one another. You know what that means for us? That means that we don't need to hide from each other either. 
We don't need to hide from God, but we also don't need to hide from each other because we treat each other the way that God treats us. But grace is only one half of the equation. Jesus came full of grace and truth. What does truth mean in relationships? It can mean a lot of things, but it means at least this. It means honesty. We deal with reality the way it is. We deal honestly with one another. We are real with one another. Maybe another way to say that would be authentic. But it also means that we live out the truth of God's word together. We bring his truth into our life. Here's what is reality. You are sinful. You are broken. You do need to change. You do need to grow. You are not okay just the way you are, and neither am I. But the reason that we can step into this kind of change environment is because we know that there's no condemnation so that we can hear the truth about ourselves from God and even from each other in an environment where there is no condemnation. And it's that grace and truth working together with God and with each other that creates an environment where we don't need to hide from each other. We need grace and truth type people in our lives. We need people that we just know that we know that we know they're not going anywhere. It doesn't matter what comes out of my life. They're gonna stick it out with me. But we also need people who are willing to tell us the truth, that are willing to hold the mirror up to our life and just say, that's out of bounds. God has something better for you. Grace and truth working together. That's what made Jesus so gentle and so safe. And that's why people flock to him. When we look at the scriptures, you just see story after story of those that were on the margins of life that found great comfort, great safety in Jesus. I think one of my favorite stories, I think I say that about lots of stories, but this one is a favorite. Jesus is at a dinner party with a bunch of religious people. And there's a party crasher. A young woman, but not just any young woman, not the kind of woman that would crash the party of a bunch of religious people. This woman was a prostitute. Now you think about what it might have been like for her. They all knew her reputation. What would it have been like to walk into that room with these religious people looking at her, looking down on her? The condemnation could be cut with a knife. She had to feel it. I'm imagining she just had to cut her way through the condemnation to get herself to the feet of Jesus. Why did she need to get to the feet of Jesus? Because she knew that he was safe. When she gets there to his feet, she's got this alabaster jar of expensive perfume. She breaks it open. She begins to anoint him. And because she's so overwhelmed because of the grace and the kindness of Jesus, even in that moment that she begins to sob and her tears begin to run down over his dirty feet. And she does something else that was out of bounds. 
She let down her hair. A Jewish woman wouldn't let down her hair in front of men unless you were a prostitute. That was part of her business. She was doing everything wrong. You don't approach a rabbi. You don't touch a rabbi. You don't let down your hair. She did everything wrong, but what did she find at the feet of Jesus? Gentleness. Safety. That's why she got there. That's why she pushed through the condemnation because she knew that's what she would find. How did Jesus respond to this woman? It's beautiful. Dignity, respect. He said, woman, your faith has saved you. Red flags are going up all over the place with these religious leaders that are there. Do you know who that is, Jesus? Do you know what she's done? He's like, absolutely. I know everything that she's done. I know that her sins are many. Jesus dealt with the truth about who she was, but he did it in the context of grace. Grace and truth working together is what causes us to create an environment where we can come out of hiding with God and with each other. And this is what I love about Jesus. This story is not just kind of a one-off story. It's not like I had to just try to figure out, is there a story somewhere in the Gospels about Jesus being gracious to someone who is on the margins of this life? It's, it's like everywhere, every story is like that with Jesus. Grace and truth working together. It's almost like the more unsavory the characters are, the more comfortable they felt with Jesus. But you know who felt uncomfortable with them, with Jesus? Religious people. They weren't safe. But Jesus was safe. Can I just turn the question toward you? Are you safe? Are you safe with people? If I were to ask your spouse, would your spouse say, I don't have to hide. I don't have to hide anything from him. I don't have to hide anything from her. I can be fully who I am. And there's acceptance and there's truth. How about your kids? Would your kids say you're safe? Or do they feel like they need to hide? Your friends. What about irreligious people? Do irreligious people feel comfortable around you? Do they know what it's like to experience grace and truth from you? We all want that. We all want those kind of people in our life. People that are safe. People that are gentle. People that live out grace and truth. So where do we find them? Where do we find grace and truth type people? I've got some bad news. I think instinctively we would say, well, if you wanted to find the kind of people that were like Jesus, you need to go to a place where Jesus' followers are. You need to go to the church. Can I just tell you that not every person in a church is safe. People can find great hope and healing in the church, but I've been around this game long enough to know, I shouldn't say game, I've been around this church life enough to know that incredible hurt 
comes from the church as well. The church is not just full of safe people. And I'll be really honest with you. Just because you stand on a stage and they give you a mic and let you talk to people, it doesn't guarantee that I'm safe either. We've got to learn to discern who are safe people. As I was studying for this, there's a book by Henry Cloud. Ironically, the name of his book is called Safe People. And he talked about the reality of safe churches. And he gave some descriptions of what are the things that mark a safe church. And I just feel compelled. I want to read those to you for a couple of reasons. One, if you've been around Journey Church for a while, I want you to hold this up and I want you to just gut level honest, ask yourself, is that who we are? Is that what our church is like? And maybe you're new. Maybe this is your first time here and you're thinking, I don't really know anything about what this church is like. I want you to at least ask this question. That description, is that the kind of church that I want to be a part of? Do I want to be a part of a church like that? This is how Henry Cloud described a safe church. He says, grace is preached from the pulpit and it is the foundation for how people are to be treated. But he also says, truth is preached without compromise, but also without a spirit of law and judgment. And then he points the fingers at church leaders. He says, the church leaders are aware of their own weaknesses and need to grow and are open about their hurt, pain, failings, and humanity. Instead of having it all together, and being insulated from confrontation and change, they are in the process of healing and opening up their own, opening up to their own safe people for support and accountability. Henry's asking the question, are the leaders taking their own medicine? A safe church uses groups to touch people's lives and sermons focus on community in the body of Christ as well as doctrine. In a safe church, the culture is one of forgiven sinners, not self-righteous religious Pharisees. In a safe church, instead of being a self-contained unit and thinking it has all the answers, it is networked into the community, availing itself of input from other other sources, such as other churches, professionals, and organizations. A safe church knows that we're not the only game in town. In a safe church, relationship between people is seen as a part of spirituality as well as relationship to God. And in a safe church, the teaching sees brokenness, struggle, and inability as normal parts of the sanctification process. I don't know how you would evaluate our church as it relates to that But this is what you've got to hear from me. That's the kind of church that I want to be. This is the kind of church that I want to lead. And you know what makes a safe church? A bunch of people together learning how to be safe. Learning how to be gentle for one another. So how do we do that? How do we do that? How do we become safe people, one by one by one, putting those pieces back together? The first thing that we need to do if we're gonna grow as safe people and as a church is that we need to just admit our need. Friends, we need to admit our need for people. 
There are times that I have conversations with people and they say, it just feels like there's something that's missing in my walk with God. The first thing that I will always ask people is, are you connected to a group of people? Because people are God's plan A for you to grow. We need safe people in our life. I love how the Apostle Paul describes this idea of how grace and truth work together in the context of the body of Christ. From Ephesians chapter four, it says this. Instead, we will speak the truth in love. You see, truth and grace, truth and love working together, growing, we're growing in every way more and more like Christ. We're becoming like him, who is the head of his body, the church. And he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. We don't do it on our own. Some people think all I need to do is I need to read my Bible more. I need to pray more. I need to go to church more. All those things, awesome things. Keep doing them. Keep doing them a lot, but do them with other people. People are God's plan A to help you grow. Safe people. Second thing that you need to do is you need to ask for help. You need to move toward people that are safe and invite them into your life. I wish I could do this for you. I wish I could do this for everyone here. But every one of us needs to do our own work in terms of cultivating those kinds of relationships. And it's not easy, but we need to do it. We need to ask for help. And the last thing that we need to do is that we need to be available. We need to make ourselves available in terms of making time for these kinds of relationships because they take time to cultivate. They don't just happen overnight, but we need to start and we need to cultivate. Build rhythms in your life of spending time with these kinds of people. I know that as I just said those things, there are people out there that inside you're saying, nothing is more scary to me than what you just said. That sounds so frightening. To move toward people and to try to open up toward people. I've been hurt in the past. We need to overcome those fears. It kind of reminds me of this video that I once saw and I wanted to show you this video of this little kid trying to get over ski jumping. I'll be fine. Have fun. I'll do it. Well. Here goes something, I guess. Okay. You can do this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump. You got it. Whoa, my ski's slipping off. Just remember, never snow plow, okay? No snow flows. Keep it straight and you'll be fine. Do okay. Same thing you do on the 20. Straight. Do you go faster on the in run? A little bit. A little bit? Yeah. Is it any steeper, do you think? Not same, much. Same steepness, it's just longer. Well, just longer. Just longer. Just a bigger 20, that's all. Yep. Have it's fun. A bigger 20. Go ahead. You got this. I got it. <laughs> It's fine. You'll, you'll be 
fine. Okay. Here. The longer you wait, you'll be more scared. I go. Suspense at the top of the first time freaks you out. That's the only thing. It's so fun. Huh? Sixty seems like nothing now. Isn't that great? Seems like nothing now. I understand on the front end, it can seem scary, but the payoff is worth it. My son always sends, says to me, just send it, Dad. As it comes to us in moving towards safe people, building these kind of relationships, I just need to say that to everyone out there. Just send it. Just do it. I want to give you a, a couple thoughts. One of the things that we do to try to create these kind of safe relationships, these kind of little circles. You hear us always talking about moving from rows to circles. I want to talk with you just a little bit about a life group. A life group is just a little circle. It can be just two people, two safe people getting together, doing nothing more than just trying to learn to hear and respond to God's voice from the scriptures. And then starting to open up their lives to one another as they start to experience safety and acceptance. And they realize, I don't have anything to hide from getting their life out into the open, and then reaching out to others as well and inviting them in. That's all a life group is. Send it. Grab a life group. There's going to be these sheets on the way out. I want you to grab one if you're thinking about that. Easy explanation of what it means to be in a life group. Let me give you a couple hints on how I think you could try to find people that could be a part of a life group with you. Like I said, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes time to get to know people, to build that kind of trust. We're gathering here right now. Don't feel like you've got to rush off all the time. Take some time to get to know people that are around you. Invite people, maybe to have a cup of coffee. Go do something, get to know them. Maybe it means that you would take a class, that you'd go to like our women's embrace Bible study on Tuesday mornings or Wednesday evenings or our men's study. And when you're there, try to connect with people that are there. Find those safe people that you can open up your life to. Maybe you're a part of a journey community. But journey communities can actually be quite large. And these life groups are small. It's just, it's hard to open up our life too far to too many people. But find people within your journey community you can start to develop that kind of relationship with. Maybe it would start out by just joining one of our serving teams that Michelle was talking about. Just that opportunity to get to know some people around here. Who are people that you connect with? Just send it. Whatever the next step is for you, just send it. I want to ask you to set your things aside. And I want you to just take a little bit of time to reflect. One, am I a safe person? And maybe number two, what is my next step in finding safe people? 
Jesus, thank you that you showed us how to do relationship. That you showed us that if we want to come out of the darkness and into the light to stop hiding, we've got to find relationships characterized by grace and by truth. Jesus, I pray that you would help each of us become people that are characterized by grace and truth because I know that then we'll be attracted, connected to others that are committed to living grace and truth relationships. Jesus, we need help around our church. We want this place to be safe for anyone and everyone that would come here. But we need you to do that. Show us how to do it. Help us build those kinds of relationships with one another. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.